Welcome to the Todd DeVoe Show, exploring the best ideas and lessons for leaders. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are at in this fine land. And I just want to say thank you to Buffalo Computer Graphics and VLAN for sponsoring the Todd DeVoe Show in this particular episode with Climb and Lift. Um, so the Climb and Lift episode here, empowering and building confidence as women uh, public speakers in the emergency management field. And, you know, one of the things that we need to be supporting generally as as emergency managers and uh, those of us that want to see the field grow is, you know, getting diverse opinions um, into the field. And this is one of the things that Ashley's been working on. So, Ashley, welcome to the Todd DeVos Show. All right. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Absolutely. And, you know, the Climb and Lift series, I think, is uh, really important. Um, you know, when uh, Carol Seawick asked me if I would uh, consider doing this, I was like, absolutely, because uh, bringing uh, diverse viewpoints into uh, into emergency management, I think, is, is critical. And I think it's exciting. But you're doing some of the same stuff with uh, with Empower. Talk about what's what, what is exactly is Empower and like, how did you get it started? Yeah, so uh, I met with a group of my women colleagues in the Baltimore and D.C. area with an idea to basically create a safe space for women in emergency management to meet. Uh, We wanted to create uh, monthly network events, happy hours. We also wanted to highlight women leaders because we know that uh, there aren't a ton of women in executive level and director level emergency management. And so some of us have a passion and a desire to want to pursue that. So we wanted an opportunity to highlight that as well. And then lastly, we wanted a group that we could actually put on seminars and promote different leadership skills to women, including uh, some tough topics about, uh, you know, salary negotiation and things like that to really promote the growth of women in emergency management. What's it mean to see the FEMA being led by Deanna Criswell? Amazing. Um, I actually remember just a few years ago, uh, a lot of us talking about how there's never been a woman and that we would really love to see a woman. And so I think it's so great to see that at the upper level head of FEMA. And I really hope we can continue to see more women in leadership positions. Why is that important? I think it's important because we really need role models. Um, And that's kind of another goal of Empower as well is, like I said, trying to identify who's already gotten to the top, who's up there, uh, so we can uh, look up to them. Um, I think a lot of us do really want to lead and we want the opportunity to uh, step in that role. But sometimes it can be very intimidating, especially if you're in a room and you don't see anybody like you. I I I find this interesting and and I'm going to ask this question in, in that when you're looking at um, colleges, right, you're looking at colleges, there's more women in college than there are men right now. But on the other side of it, there are more men enrolled in the STEM. And I know that you come from the, the STEM world. Um, even though there's more women by almost like 25% um, enrolled in, in colleges, but there's more men enrolled in STEM. Um, why, why is that? I think there's been some research done on how uh, gender roles and kind of um, gender assessment of what careers are palpable for someone uh, actually occur in childhood. And so uh, they've talked to a lot of elementary students, and uh, it seems to me like a lot of girls don't think that they can do STEM. 
Um, they kind of identify science and uh, mathematics and all that with male scientists and not female. And so starting young and, and not being able to see a female role model or see yourself in that field automatically makes you feel like you can't do it and you pick something else. So another aspect that I'm really passionate about is promoting women in STEM and trying to do outreach events uh, in elementary school and in school to show people that they can come and do those things. Because I feel like if you can visualize yourself there as a young child, then of course you're going to pursue it and know it's possible when you're older in school. And when it comes to emergency management and some and the thought leaders, right, and the people who are writing, um, we've seen in the past with like um, the with like um, uh, Delaware, for instance, with the Disaster Resilience Center, um, with uh, Colorado State or yeah, Colorado uh, with the Natural Hazard Center. Um, that's they've been led by women for a long time when it comes to research. But however, it's been more like on the sociology side of of, of emergency management, if you will, like that research. Um, why do you think it's been so long for that to translate into uh, women leading um, in the higher levels of emergency management? That's a really good, thoughtful question. Um, being that I've just been in practitioner emergency management for a while and also in different regions, I still personally think some of it has to do with the fact that women aren't necessarily leading or prevalent in first response either, or public safety. And since public safety tends to feed into local level emergency management and other realms, it's still a challenge to get a lot of women in the pool of emergency management as a career. Um, outside of that, I still think too, it's, it's challenging to step up and lead, especially like I said, if you feel like you're in a room and you're different, um, or you don't fit in, or you feel like there could be stereotypes so sometimes it's hard to want to step out of that shell and, and take that on. And then two, I just think that, you know, in some situations, we just don't get opportunities to. So I'm really glad that, uh, you know, our field is evolving. Uh, we're seeing more women given leadership opportunities and opportunities to be vocal. And I think that it'll do nothing but grow our field and make us more successful. So IEM right now, um, is, uh, Carolyn is, is leading the, the charge. Um, our next president's going to be female, and we're going to have a, a, a man come in, Justin, and then our, our, the president after that's going to be female. So realistically, IEM is being um, top-down, um, is, is pretty heavy female-led. Um, is that important to you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm going to go back to the role models. I think it's just important to see different women in all levels of emergency management at all different uh, supervisory and executive positions. Um, it's nice to be able to see it so you can know you can do it. It's nice to be able to have someone to talk to who is well-versed in leadership, experienced in it, and can also give you feedback as you really work to enhance what that might look like for you if you want to pursue that. So how do we see change happening, not just with females, right? I mean, that's important, right? But how do we see change completely happening in emergency management going forward? Because uh, one of the things I've been saying on my soapbox for a long time um, is saying, hey, we need to have emergency managers that come from the background of going to school for emergency management to become emergency managers. And I'm a retread, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty as that. I started out as a in, in public safety and then went into emergency management, so I call myself a, a retread like a lot of us are. Um, how do we encourage people from the ground up to get into emergency management? And 
what are you guys doing? I say you guys, all the people that are younger. I'm, I'm an old guy now, right? And actually, you're the in the new leadership. What are you all doing to um, ensure that we're seeing a proper change in the field of emergency management? So I'm going to kind of echo what I always say is I kind of agree with you in the sense that we really need field standardization. So a solid pathway into what our profession is, a definition of what emergency management is and what skills and education is required. And then, um, you know, a more formal process of assessing what an entry level emergency manager looks like as opposed to a director level emergency manager. So I think if we continue to build that, um, not only from state to state, nationally, and then also locally, that's going to help a ton uh, because we can actually identify who's coming in, what backgrounds they have, and things like that. Um, I kind of echo education. I think education is really important, especially as we encounter a lot of challenges of uh, the field, Um, looking at climate change, evolving threats, cyber. um, Really think education is super important. And then lastly, I think we can only really recruit diversity and uh, additions to our field by doing more outreach and engagement about what emergency management is. I mean, it's hard for us to kind of sit back and and think that children and college students are going to fall into emergency management if most of a majority of the population don't even know what emergency management is and they don't know that we exist. So I really think that we need to do more education and outreach, not only to high schools, but just to people in general, just like we've been trying to do with National Prepared this month and other initiatives that we have in our communities. Yeah, I always think it's funny, not funny, but ironic, right? You, you, Everybody knows what a firefighter does or a police officer does, paramedic or EMT, right? They see these trucks with lights and sirens on. And when, when you say, oh, you know, what do you do for a living? You say, oh, I'm, I'm an emergency manager. And they're like, oh, okay, what's that? And the only only thing that we could say where people have an understanding is like, well, we're like FEMA, but we're just at the local level, right? And they understand FEMA because they've seen the news. And it seems to be the only time emergency management is in the news, though, is when it like really screws up, like, like Katrina, for instance, or along those lines, you know, uh, the issues that uh, happened over with Hurricane Maria over in Puerto Rico. Um, but we don't get the uh, the accolades when things go well. What can we do to change that? I think it's really funny what you said about FEMA, because every time I do any kind of outreach, that's exactly what I tell people, including like partners. If I'm brand new with working with them or even the public, I tell them I'm the FEMA, but of the county. <laughs> so um, I think really... What we need to do is just keep doing outreach more than in the middle of the incident or during recovery. Um, But I think that's also a challenge because a lot of our offices are very short staffed. So it's hard to find the time to get out there, but I think it's really essential to what we do. Um, People are never gonna know who to contact, who who to reach out to, any of the services that we do or anything that we're trying to provide without that outreach. Um, So we really need to up that. And I really think, too, kind of growing the public information positions within emergency management offices would really help us. Uh, Currently, we have a lot of OEM offices that typically use like a police PIO, a fire PIO, or even just the local comms as their PIO. And that works during incidents. But we lose a lot of that everyday education that police and fire get to take advantage of with that dedicated PIO person constantly doing outreach from their office. Yeah, I, I think, you know, on the other side of it too, is like you think of the the days at the schools, elementary schools, and, you know, they 
course, you know, the kids love it because they bring in the fire truck and do fire truck stuff. And they bring in the, uh, uh, the, the police car that always looks cool with the lights and sirens. Um, but they never, you know, even during national preparedness month, I, I don't, I don't recall, um, maybe, you know, maybe somebody out there has, and I'd like to hear about it. Um, but invited to go talk to the local elementary school to talk about disaster preparedness, right? They'll bring in the fire prevention person to talk about disaster preparedness and, and, and not the emergency manager. I think that's, how do we change that? I mean, I think that's an interesting conversation. Some offices are really starting to grow their offices and recruit um, and actually have dedicated like community engagement staff. Um, I think that that's a huge first step because once again, like we really need to get into the community and we really need to focus on outreach, but in an office that only has a couple people, I mean, you're never going to be able to do that if you've got plans, T&E and everything else you're supposed to be doing. So I think really first step is making sure that we do that. Um, and then, um, carrying that out and actually going out to set up events. I think that sometimes we wait too long to be approached to go and host something. And we probably need to put more manpower into setting stuff up and getting out there. I, I know the state of California is working on something uh, as I think about this. Um, but they're not necessarily, they're not teaching the course. They've created a curriculum for, for, for fourth graders, um, for fourth grade teachers, not the fourth graders, for fourth grade teachers to teach in their classroom, um, which I think is a great step forward. And they do have like a virtual tour of the emergency operations center. I think that's kind of neat, but um, it's still not, you know, local emergency managers going out and doing it. I think that's the, the side of it that we need to do is have those in the city. And I know you're busy and, and, and I'm not trying to put extra burden on you, but if we really want to do something with National Preparedness Month, I think getting out there to the classrooms, um, and working with our local elementary schools and um, middle schools, um, you know, because those seem to be the areas where we can really make a difference. Uh, and they did the study. The study says fourth grade is where where uh, you can make the biggest difference. So, you know, uh, that that being said as well. So I forgot about that. But, yeah, New York, California's been doing some cool stuff with that. Um, now, let's talk about colleges here, for instance. You know, so IEM has been working hard on getting – um, college chapters uh, for emergency management um, and some schools that have EM programs um, are embracing it. But what about all these schools that, that uh, have allied, like you, you come from uh, meteorology, right? You know, um, well, probably a little bit more depth than that, but uh, just for these uh, basic guys like myself, <laughs> you know, um, you, you know, so uh, how, how do we reach out to people like you? I mean, how did, well, let me ask the question this way. You know, how did you find out about emergency management? Because you changed your career path. I did. So um, when I went to school, I wanted to do meteorology and work for the National Weather Service and do forecasting. So I was super passionate about the public safety aspect of issuing watches and warnings and trying to reduce storm-related fatalities. Uh, I actually went to a conference, and it was a student-led conference uh, for the American Meteorological Society. And they had a Florida State meteorologist working for the Florida State Emergency Management Agency. And she was doing a presentation on how she was focusing on doing weather-related information, but specific to the governor and for emergency management. And I thought that was the coolest thing. So I always had emergency management in like my back pocket. And then I found out that you got to do all those cool decisions like evacuations and all of that stuff. And I was like, that is what I want to do with weather stuff. So 
to put things short, I found out through a conference and a meteorology conference because they're trying to really bridge the gap between emergency management and meteorology because they're so relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to see more IEM chapters in universities because that is actually how I got to the AMS conference is I was a member of the student-led AMS chapter at our university. So I think we could really recruit not only IEM attendance, just like I went to the AMS conference, but also students and interaction, just like we do in AMS in the meteorology field. What what fields do you think work well um, on the STEM side? Because that's, 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 I'm really curious about the STEM side right now with, with emergency management, because I really think there's a lot of crossover. Now, I know like geology and plate tectonics really makes a, a lot of sense. You know, meteorology makes a lot of sense. What other... Um, you know, STEM programs really fit well with emergency management? Well, definitely a vote for meteorology. I always try to reach out to all of my fellow weather nerds and try to get them in the field because I think it's just so important to have that understanding of how the atmosphere works. So when you're making decisions that are high stakes, you trust yourself a little more. You understand it's not really like a guess on whether or not you're going to flood or not. Um, But besides meteorology, geophysics, uh, earth sciences, I personally think technology related stuff. So like computer science, Mm. Um, cyber is definitely not my strength coming from STEM. But if I could go back to school, I would have loved to take some computer science stuff so I could feel a little more well versed with that. Yeah, I I agree with you there with 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 the computer stuff, because that's that's becoming a huge issue. I I, I shouldn't say becoming, it has been for a long time. We just uh, are learning more about it now. Mark asked a question. Um, I said, how do we capitalize on the breadth and depth of opportunities in emergency management disciplines, not just government, right, but also private sector, higher education, public health, et cetera, which tend to be more diverse organizations uh, by nature? That's a great question, Mark. What do you think, Ashley? How, how do we get people involved in other – because, like, everybody thinks government, right? They, they go, okay, I want to be an emergency manager. And we like we said, it's like FEMA for the county or FEMA for the city. How do we break that into um, – I mean – Hospitals use emergency managers, um, higher education, K through 12 now has emergency management positions that are opening up. Um, you're seeing them um, in social services as well, which makes sense, you know, um, and also, uh, you know, non nonprofit organizations and um, uh, private businesses. I mean, when you have Tesla and uh, Facebook or Meta, uh, Disney, um, Uber, <laughs> all these you know, big uh, Airbnb, they all have emergency management positions. Um, how do we get those people involved um, or how do we get people involved in those positions? That's a really good question. And I was actually thinking of multiple ways to kind of discuss that question. So you can kind of talk about either how you're going to recruit and train for all of these different diverse emergency management positions, but clearly dealing with different companies and different things but also like even outreach. So like, you know, we put a lot of weight on our local level emergency management to get out and do those things like schools, but why don't we reach out to our partners in hospitals and other things and use our emergency management networks to improve outreach or even work together to reach the different niches that we're in. Um, So that's very interesting. I'm glad that he brought that up. Um, I think for probably career standardization, he brings up a good point. Like I said, Um, it's kind of hard to, to require a standard on all of these diverse different things outside of just that base level planning, training, exercise, all the basic stuff. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if I have a really good answer for that. 
You know, you know what I find interesting too is when we when we talk about emergency management in general, um, everybody just automatically goes into like we talk about on the government side, um, and we we focus a lot um on the response, right? Um, you know, it's always like when we do exercises, it's always okay responding to this like great disaster, uh, first few hours of it, whatever, and then we pat ourselves on the back and say we did a great job, and uh, whether we did or not. And that's a whole other story, but we, we don't really get into like, I mean, I guess it's kind of hard to, to drill mitigation. Right. But we, 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 we tend not to, it's not sexy, I guess, for lack of a better term, going into like mitigation or going into prevention or going into, you know, those type of things. Um, how do we really engage people to get into those positions outside of response? I think, um, first of all, we need to make sure that our field has a paradigm shift to include all four realms of the cycle of emergency management, because there are still a lot of regions and areas and offices that still do just prepare for the response. They don't really necessarily do whole community planning. Um, Outreach isn't really a thing. Uh, Mitigation definitely isn't a thing. And recovery occurs when it has to. So I think we need to make sure as a field we're doing that first and then uh, have standards um, that we're training people in all things. Uh, Obviously, we're very good at response because we typically or used to pull responders into the field. So that's kind of their mode. And I mean, I know fire departments and other public safety agencies do preparedness. They do equipment checks and things like that. uh, But they're very accustomed to sitting back and waiting for that call to go do something which is kind of what you see in emergency management. So I just think we need to have that paradigm shift in the field first, establish standards so we're training on all four realms and implementing it correctly and staffing to where we can do all four realms and then educating the new people who come in through university or whatever else that we're making sure to do all four realms. You know, I find it interesting too is, is like um, I had an intern that was working for me and he asked me if he could work on business emergency management and he was creating uh, flyers and, and, and program information to work with the chamber of commerce. So I hooked him up with the chamber um, and they were doing stuff with small businesses. And that's, that's one of the things I think is interesting is like we understand that the Walmarts, the targets, the, the, the big box stores, they're going to do okay um, after a disaster, but our, our mom and pop shops, uh, main street shops, um, you know, they really need a lot of help. And I think focusing on, on trying to build partnerships with them early on um, in the relation, build that relationship with them early on before disaster occurs is critical to their survival after, after disaster. Um, how, how can we do more of that? I'm a huge fan of like um, networking or even just building networks in your community. So at one point I was able to do that with a bunch of our houses of worship. So we had kind of a faith network where we sent letters out. Uh, We did a preparedness seminar with them to kind of promote emergency planning in houses of worship. And then we also did roundtable meetings. So they would come back in a couple months with their plan. Uh, We would ask or answer questions with them and always be that resource for them. Never writing their plan for them, but helping them engage in the process. Uh, That was really successful because we were able to make all those partnerships and then have an email list. So if I had an incident, and maybe I was looking for help from houses of worship, I could send information about the incident through that network. And then they in turn could hit all of their networks. 
And so I'm a big fan of that networking thing. And I think that we could do the same with schools, making sure that you have public private schools and everybody. Um, daycare, childcare, making sure that they're in their little network. Uh, small businesses and even some uh, larger agencies have, you know, BEOCs where they're making the connections with businesses and using that as a platform to get the information to help them respond and recover. Um, so I really think that's kind of the key is creating the network so we can disseminate information through. And then it's almost like a web of all these different relationships we have in our community. Do you think getting more women involved um, and and minorities too, for that, for that matter, but getting involved into emergency management will open the doors to the community more um, than the, all of us old first responders that, uh, you know, that are crusty and like to just do a response? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think like we kind of have said over the past few years about diversity and emergency management, we really need to represent what our communities look like. Um, we don't need to all just look the same way and then try to connect with people who don't. So the more women, uh, the more diversity that we can have, I really think that's going to improve our reach. Also, uh, I like to really tell whole community planning because it's important to listen to people with different experiences and backgrounds when we're trying to build how people are going to react, respond, and recover. Uh, my experience is not the same as someone else that's not me. And so I want to make sure that I'm listening to that community. Uh, so I really think if we can improve diversity, not only in planning, but also in our outreach and our engagement, uh, it's really just going to make our response plans and our work a lot better. You know, I, I think that's critical too. Is, is, is when you're you're looking at the whole community. That's one of the things I've been pushing out for a long time now, um, with the idea of disaster resilient communities or anti fragile communities, as I like to say now, because I think the concept of resiliency has been really kind of become a mushy word. Um, you know, you you've mentioned this a couple times with with that whole community. What does a whole community approach look like to you? So. I kind of dream of a whole community approach, like in a planning realm, of making sure that you have representation uh, of everyone at your table. Uh, for instance, if you're trying to do access and functional needs, then you need to definitely have folks directly related from that community in that planning meeting or providing stakeholder insight or, you know, bouncing ideas off of them. Um, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense for me to build uh, AFN transportation plan when I've never been AFN, you know? Um, so I really just think making sure you have different people from different backgrounds, different levels at that table, um, you know, local, state, federal, government, nonprofit, business, private, but resident. I think it's so important that we start to actually bring residents into our community planning and have them contribute ideas of what they want to see uh, through guided discussions. I, I'm going to ask a question here that's kind of controversial. And we, I know we have only have a couple of minutes left, so it's going to be hard to delve too deep into it. But it seems to be like we are afraid, I say the collective we, um, are afraid to uh, engage our disaster plans with the residents. How do we change that? I think it's kind of similar to what you see sometimes with public information, how we're afraid to put information out about our response or afraid to be proactive because we automatically think it'll be taken negatively. 
when it's really opposite, because if I don't put it out there, then it makes me look like I'm trying to hide something. I think that we really need to just kind of embrace transparency and embrace the concept of wanting to bring people into our circles and educate. I will say there's always going to be that issue, though, of, you know, homeland security or even threats uh, with certain plans. And I've encountered that like with LAPC planning and other things where we didn't feel comfortable telling all of our plans to the public. And while I understand the value of that and protecting critical infrastructure information, I still think we can still educate the public on what our plans are and what to expect from us. And it's also going to save the day when we have the disaster because they understand better. They know that we're not going to knock on their door and hand deliver water. They're going to know that our plan is to set up a distribution site. Yeah. I, I, reaching outreach to me is the hardest thing that I've ever done um, because people sometimes don't want to hear what we're talking about or they just want to stay inside that bubble. Um, and uh, I think breaking down those, uh, breaking down those bubbles is a hard part. Um, but, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. We have a minute left and I want to give it to you. How can people uh, find you and find out and how can people get, or get more involved with Empower? Yes. Yeah, so Empower, uh, we actually are doing uh, monthly networking events, like I said, and we've actually been doing some virtual Zoom events with guest speakers. And so if anyone's interested in staying up to date with that, we have a Twitter at NCR Empower is the handle. We also have a LinkedIn page, which is Empower. Uh, we are the Mid-Atlantic chapter, which is the only chapter at this time, but we're hoping to expand sometime. Uh, you can also follow me uh, at MissAshes92 on Twitter or find me on LinkedIn. And if anyone has any questions or interests about Empower, you can send me an email or send me a DM and we can definitely get you all hooked up. Yeah, definitely follow her Twitter because uh, she puts out great information. Sometimes it's funny too. <laughs> Lots of planning fees. <laughs> yeah, lots of cool stuff. I, I, I do enjoy reading your your uh, your Twitter uh, uh, posts. That's for sure. Hey, thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here. I wish we had longer time to to go on this, but uh, we only have the, the half hour today. Um, but I'd love to have you back on sometime. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I think it was a really great discussion, and just thank you so much again. Absolutely. I'll talk to you a little bit. Hey, everybody else. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think these conversations are critical. You know, um, I'll tell you, as an old guy here in the in the uh, emergency management, uh, supporting the next generation uh, coming up, and, and Ashley is supporting the generation coming up behind her, um, I think it's critical for us to do this. And I'm really excited to see what you guys are all doing uh, you know, next time around. Ashley, again, thank you so much for spending time with us. And everybody, you know, please, please spread the word about National Preparedness Month. Spread the word about what we're doing. I think we're doing some great work. And until next time, stay safe, stay hydrated.